You're listening to Season 2, Episode 2. Hello and welcome to What Leaders Know. It's the podcast for people on leadership journeys. I'm your host, Penny Beeston. I help people take their leadership careers to the next level. Learn more at whatleadersknow.com. Today's episode features a young leader who is building a leadership career in the for-purpose sector at a time when it's never been more important to understand the why of leadership. My guest today is Zane Alley. Zane is one of those remarkable for-purpose leaders who applies head and heart to his leadership. At the time of recording this conversation, Zane has just completed a 12-month contract as Interim CEO of MS Queensland. I have questions to put to Zane about the challenges and complexities of stepping into his first CEO role, albeit in an interim capacity. As the world is gripped by COVID-19, he took the reins. The first year of COVID challenged even the most seasoned leaders. So how did a young, innovative and talented leader approach the challenge? Prior to joining MS Queensland, Zane honed his leadership skills with Multicultural Development Australia. One of Zane's driving passions is the progress and success of a truly multicultural Australia, grounded in shared values of equality and access for the myriad of people who seek goodwill for themselves and their families. Welcome, Zane. Thanks, Penny. Thanks for having me. Zane, in Season 2 of What Leaders Know, I ask each of my guests, how has leadership changed you? I'm particularly interested in your response because you are in the early stages of a C-suite leadership journey. Thanks, Penny. Um, huge question, huge question. I could talk for days about this. When I really think about it, there's probably three things in terms of how leadership has changed me. The first is one of the things that I've learned about leadership very early on in my career is that it's not just a, about managing tasks, managing people, particularly in the human services industry. One thing that I've learned is that leadership is about making decisions that have a, a lasting effect or that there's people um, that would be impacted by some of the decisions that you make. One of my uncles once told me that you have two ears and one mouth, and so you should be doing double the listening compared to uh, to the amount that you talk. I think that's one of the things that has really stuck with me, and and particularly through my leadership journey, it's something that I've I've learnt, uh, and it's definitely something that I've taken with me into other parts of my life. So whether it's in my personal relationships, with my uh, friendships, with being a father, being a member of a soccer team, it's it's that. Um, learning that I took with me um, and, and that definitely has shaped and evolved me. I think one of the other things in terms of how leadership has changed me has been around the willingness to take risks. So as a finance professional, generally speaking, you're not uh, you're, you're trained to be risk adverse. You're trained to really assess the risk and, and, and don't step out of your comfort zone too much. Um, I think being a leader, how that has shaped me is it's actually okay to take risks. It's okay to fail. So one of the things as a finance professional or being finance trained, you're, you're trained to assess risk and to mitigate risk. You're not really trained to, to take any risk or step outside your comfort zone. So I think as a leader, one of the things that I've learned and how I've evolved, um, is that good things come when you actually step outside your comfort zone sometimes. And so I've definitely taken that with me out of my own leadership journey in a professional sense through to my own personal relationships as well. I'm willing to try new things so that's that's been really really exciting and I think the third thing is is that 
As a leader, one of the things that I've learned is that the decisions that you make will impact people, not only the people that you work with, but may actually have a profound and long-lasting effect on those around you or those that you serve, particularly in the human services sector. Just being really mindful of some of the decisions that you make because those decisions can have an effect not only in the short term, but can actually have generational effects on people as well. Those those three things are are really big in terms of that leadership space and that have sort of flowed through into my own personal life and personal values and shaped me and who I am as well. So it sounds like you bring a lot of lenses to the role of leadership and the decisions you're making in that space. Absolutely. It's not only all the lenses that you bring from your own personal experiences and life experiences, but different lenses in terms of other people's warps of life and where they come from. It it brings that um, sense of empathy, I suppose, in terms of your approach to certain situations. Before you ever stepped into the for-purpose sector, You spent six years putting your accounting profession to work with Downer, Footlocker and Elliott's, where you were awarded the Footlocker Asia-Pacific Employee of the Year. What did that acknowledgement reflect about your approach to your work? And what was the catalyst to pivot your career away from success in the commercial world into the for-purpose sector with your role at Blue Care? I'll answer that in two parts. The, the first part in terms of the acknowledgement of the um, Employee of the Year uh, for Asia Pacific, I think one of the things that I really learnt from that, a bit of a backstory to that is a great catalyst or springboard for my approach in my career was the year before I won that, a colleague had actually won that award, um, somebody that I worked quite closely with. And I was actually really, really inspired by it. And, and I set myself a goal and said, you know, next year I want to be up here standing there getting that award. Um, so it was actually quite inspiring for me. So I set myself a goal, I set myself targets in terms of what I wanted to achieve and then ultimately ended up winning and getting employee of the year. So I think one of the key learnings that I took away from that was the fact that I previously had always lived in the now, live live in the moment and live in the now. But the strength of setting goals and the strength of you know focusing and having a forward vision and working and breaking that down in order to be able to, to achieve that vision was a really fantastic learning for me and something that I've definitely taken forward in to my approach throughout my leadership journey. The second part of the question around the the catalyst for moving from commercial into the not-for-profit sector, one of the things that I found was that I come from a low socioeconomic earning background myself and um, my dad had an injury when we were quite young. He wasn't able to work. Mum worked two, three jobs in order to, to support us. And one of the things I realised very early on in my career that as an accountant, there's not many opportunities where you can give back and particularly in the commerce world, it's all about the bottom line and you know making sure the numbers line up. So it was particularly after I worked at Downer that I was changing a common or, or a deeper meaning um, in terms of the work that I was doing. However, what I did identify was that I was quite good at what I did um, in terms of the, the financial aspects and the commerce aspects. So I really wanted to take that and be able to move that into the not-for-profit sector to be able to help people. I made a very deliberate decision back then, but that's where I wanted to go. I remember talking to a couple of different recruiters and saying to them, not-for-profit sector is where I want to go. Um, I remember one of them really tried to convince me, um, but uh, but I, I was hell-bent and, and I ended up um, ending up in aged care for you know six, seven years I spent there before moving into multicultural services um, and refugee sector and now in the disability services sector. You know, I spent the last 15 years in, in the community services, not-for-profit sector or for-purpose sector and absolutely have loved it. So just being able to get that deeper meaning and greater sense of accomplishment from mixing that commercial acumen with a for-purpose-driven organisation. 
Was there any particular draw that brought you into the multicultural space? Yeah, there was. So my wife um, is a refugee, so she came over from El Salvador back in 1985. One of the things that I suppose had a big impact on my life is her mother and father used to tell me stories about their journey that they went through and some some stuff that um, us in Australia could only imagine, um, some really traumatic events that they went through. But the journey that they went through in order to get their children over here to Australia to give them a better life, the sacrifices they made um, is something that really stayed with me. A couple of years ago, probably five or six years ago now, my father-in-law ended up taking his own life as a result of some PTSD that he was going through and, and struggles that he had gone through for a very, very long time since the, the Civil War back in El Salvador. I suppose for me that was one of the really big um, moments in my life where I realised that he'd made so many sacrifices, he'd got his family to a safe place, he'd got them um, to to open up to opportunities that they never would have been able to, to see, um, yet he still had his own struggles that he was working through. Um, and so for me, the, the you know people coming as refugees and asylum seekers is, is something that's really close to my heart. Um, yeah, he, he was a remarkable man, and uh, my mother-in-law, um, Sada's mum, is is a remarkable woman. You know, yeah. Even the stories now and the resilience that she has is something that um, you can only you can only summarise as remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing just a tiny piece of that legacy with us today, Zane. Coming back now to your the shift that you made from commercial into for profit. You took your accounting and business analyst skills with you, of course, and applied these in your senior roles as your career grew. Can you talk about the shift you experienced, Zane, within yourself over these years in terms of connecting the financial sustainability of the organisation with the quality and effectiveness of outcomes for the community? Absolutely. One of my previous uh, bosses once said to me that financial sustainability and delivering for a mission are not mutually exclusive. And, you know, that has stayed with me and it's definitely something that I've held on to. I think when when I'm looking at a scenario or if I'm looking at a decision, my default position is I naturally approach it with with the financial acumen. I have a look at the viability of that particular initiative. Um, but I think one of the things that I've really evolved, particularly the last sort of five years, has been the ability to look at it from multiple different lenses, as we spoke about earlier. Now when I'm approaching the situation, there'll be not only just the financial sustainability, but I'll look at the workforce impact that that might have. Do we have the capability in-house to be able to deliver that particular initiative? Can we leverage off our existing resources? Is it a scalable um, model? Does it align with the organisation's mission and purpose? So a range of different lenses that I bring to it. The, the other big thing when I'm looking at a particular situation is the impact. So naturally in human services or in the not-for-profit sector, all the decisions you make make an impact or, or the reason why you exist is in order to help people that have been disadvantaged in order to achieve equity, I suppose. And so I generally will take the lens of what impact is this going to have, um, not only in terms of the people that we're serving, but also the workforce that you're working with as well. I suppose that it's really that emotional intelligence and that empathy. Um, so I've definitely seen my style change a lot. Some people say I'm a little bit too empathetic sometimes <laughs> for, a, for an accountant anyway. <laughs> and Zane, I'm interested in your strategic approach to that common issue we face in for-purpose organisations. We can see great initiatives and opportunities, but they may be a stretch too far for our organisation at that time. What's your approach to that? 
probably to build off of your point there, it's also about having a holistic lens of what you're trying to achieve. Sometimes the financial viability or the initiative of what you're trying to deliver may not actually stack up, but the the social impact or the impact on, on the customer is huge. And so it is actually an initiative that your organisation may want to deliver on. How do you then balance that off with other parts of the organisation that could potentially subsidise that or cross-support that? Um, and so just having that holistic lens of what's going on across the whole organisation and within the industry or the sector um, is really quite important. So I was conscious of your passion for the work undertaken by MDA and other community organisations working in the multicultural space. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so as I mentioned to you earlier, um, you know, my first link to, to, the, to the work in that sector is de- um, most definitely from my wife and, and her family and what they've gone through. I suppose secondary to that is, is that um, my father came over as a migrant um, from Fiji when he was 16. So um, I grew up in a, you know, for lack of a better word, a mixed race family, um, essentially. And during a generation that there was a substantial generation shift um, and more acceptance, particularly for mixed race families. But there always has been those challenges um, throughout my life around coming from a, a different background. I'm not looking Caucasian. I wouldn't say that the huge struggles compared to what others had been through, um, but definitely a stigma or stereotype associated with it. Um, so I've always had to battle that. I think one of the things that drives me is that my son, who's going to be Australian, Fijian, Indian, El Salvadorian, a very mixed-race child, <laughs> I, I want to ensure that he's grown up in a community that's better than what we grew up in and better than what our parents grew up in. Um, and so I suppose that's probably one of my driving forces is to create a better society or community for future generations to come. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work to be done in Australia. So now, Zane, I want to bring us into where you have been in the past 12 months. You stepped into an interim CEO role with MS Queensland and COVID was declared a pandemic in Australia. Talk to me about how you absorbed that information. What did you immediately feel, think and do as a first-time interim CEO? Of a significant not-for-profit. Oh, absolute baptism by fire as my first CEO <laughs> role. Um, and to be completely honest, the first thing I did was freak out. Uh, <laughs> that whole imposter syndrome, can I do this? Can I lead through? Um, but that was very quickly followed by um, oh, there's a challenge ahead of me and I thrive on challenges. I thrive on on being told that I can't do something and wanting to actually achieve something. So so I very quickly moved into a state of, um, of, of really grasping the bull by the horn, so to speak. Huge challenging time because not only was there the global pandemic, but I was also well aware that we had an exiting CEO prior to, to me coming in. Um, and so that destabilised um, the organisation a little bit. So I need to stabilise the, the organisation um, and provide steady leadership. But also there's business as usual um, to run. And so particularly in the disability services sector where specialist disability accommodation is a fairly new space, there's a lot of new partnerships, a lot of new opportunities, um, a lot of development happening at the moment, which was one of MS Queensland's key strategies were to leverage um, that change in the industry. Um, so there was a lot going on, not only just the global pandemic. Um, I think my approach in terms of 
what I had done um, initially was the, the first thing I did was to pull the leadership team together and have a conversation with the leadership team about the challenges that we we're going to face. The two analogies that I, I used that I think really held us true or the leaders through through that were um, the first thing is I had a conversation with them and said, look, your role as leaders, and it's a really good analogy that one of my, uh, my previous bosses had, had used with me, was that our role as leaders is to be like snorkelers. So we need to be snorkeling across the surface. Every now and then we need to dive deep. However, if you stay down there, you're going to drown. Um, so I asked all of our senior leaders and executive leadership team to hold that in their mind as they sort of travelled and navigated through COVID. The other analogy that I used um, was Aboriginal artwork, a little bit like the, the picture that you've got behind you, in that um, in leadership sometimes you, you may create this beautiful thing in the end, but at the time that you're doing it, it may not make sense. So if you have a look at Aboriginal artwork, there's a lot of those little dots. And, um, and when you're, when it's actually being done, you can't see the vision or you can't see the end game. But once you, you navigate through it, it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful piece of work, um, at the end. So there were two sort of analogies that I used to, or steady the leadership and get them focused on, on the job that needed to get done. From there, I mean, I could go into a range of different details in terms of the initiatives, but but ultimately, the main thing that I wanted to do was really empower our leadership team in order to navigate through COVID-19, but also keep an eye on the business as usual. I think we achieved that. We had really, really good results. We, had, we didn't end up having any stand-downs throughout all of COVID. We managed to keep everybody employed. Um, we had 85% of staff saying that they were really comfortable and happy with the way that um, MS Queensland had handled and communicated the COVID-19 situation. Um, and we ended up getting through it uh, really well. So. so a year into the global pandemic, first in 100 years, and leaders, even really experienced leaders, are reflecting on that experience. You'd be part of a unique cohort who stepped into their first CEO role in 2020. You faced down the challenges of COVID-19 and brought the organisation through safely. That's not a bad alumni to belong to, Zane. Any leader will tell you they've got really, if you've got really, really good people around you, a really good board, really good executive team, a really good senior leadership team and staff. So human services sector generally, um, you know, they, they attract remarkable people. Zane, as we wind up our conversation today, I'd like to ask you to leave three takeaways for people who are on leadership journeys who are listening to our podcast. Yeah, I think the first one is, as I mentioned, it's okay to take risks. Um, so really try and push yourself out of your comfort zone and look for ways to, to push yourself because I think that's a key catalyst for your own personal growth. So that would be the first thing I'd say. Can you give an example of how someone who's rising into leadership of how they can push themselves? I think um, naturally everybody will have a certain discipline or a certain um, background that they come from. Um, I would definitely challenge people to, to, to look at opportunities and initiatives within your organisation where you can step up and lead across the organisation. So it's out of that comfort zone, out of that discipline that you're used to. So whether you are a, a social worker and you've come up through through that path, um, look for opportunities where you're, you're taking into account other, other portfolios. So 
whether it be a new project or a new IT initiative, something that's really out of your comfort zone, I'd say push yourself into there and lead across the business, not just leading your portfolio. The second thing it would be really hone the different types of leadership styles that you have. So naturally, everybody will have a, a default leadership style. So for me, I generally will fall back on a consultative leadership style. But there are so many other different types. So I'd say really work on that. And none of them are better than the others, but there's different times when you need to have those leadership styles. So whether it be delegative or collaborative or directive, um, there's different types of leaderships. And there's one thing that I've, I've definitely learned throughout the, the pandemic. And, um, you know, when you're leading through a crisis, that's a different style of leadership than when you're leading through a business as usual initiative where you may have a little bit more time. So I'd say um, to those emerging leaders, or identify what your your key default leadership style is and then look at other areas in terms of how you can hone those leadership styles and get comfortable with, with those other different styles of leadership. Good advice. And the third thing I would say that... Um, Always remember that as a leader, your decisions, like I'd mentioned earlier in this podcast, will have a lasting effect. Um, so whether that's an effect on those people that you work with or those around you or the, the people that you're serving. So it's things like your integrity, what you do when nobody's watching, um, the way you hold yourself during during a crisis and, and your body language. Those sorts of things will, will stay with people. So your job as a leader is to inspire people and to, enable them to be the best that they can be because they're ultimately there, particularly in the human services sector, to help others. So your job is to enable them to help others. So I'd say um, that uh, really just be mindful of your your behaviour and your approach, whether you know it or not, will have an impact on people um, and that will last for a long time to come. When we look forward, what's forward for Zane Alley? What's forward for Zane Alley? Big question. Um, I think for me, the human services, community services sector is my passion. That's where I've been for the last 15 years and that's definitely where I want to stay and where I want to be. Making a substantial difference to the community um, and being able to have an impact, a positive impact on people's lives, whether they know it or whether they don't. Well, I think you do it in spades, that balance of head and heart, and that's going to hold you in good stead. It's going to hold those who you lead in good stead. And thank you for finishing our podcast today with some words of wisdom for those who are listening and on their own leadership journeys. It's been such a pleasure to have your company today, Zane. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Penny. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode where we'll have another conversation with a successful leader. Show notes and resources from today's episode will be found on my website, whatleadersknow.com. See you next week and until then, stay safe.